Hi, I'm Shane Safir. And I'm Alcine Mumby, and this is Street Data Pod, where we dream with you about next generation schools that affirm, love, and value every learner. Here we have conversations about healing, hope, and listening at the margins. In season three, we are continuing to unpack on the ground examples of what the street data model looks like in action. And I have been waiting for this conversation for weeks with bated breath because this is, first of all, the first time we've had students in the pod space with us, which is so exciting. But not just any students, two incredible, brilliant, emerging leaders that I've gotten to know over the past two years from a school district that is near Vancouver. And they have so much wisdom and insight to share with us. And we're just going to listen today and create a lot of space and room for their reflections on the learning they've been doing with street data. So welcome to the pod, Ari and Harshan. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having us. I'm so excited. Yeah, same here. Thank you for having us. All right, let's get into it. So we always begin these podcast conversations with talking about story, kind of who we are, where we come from, what identities we carry in the world. So I'm going to invite each of you to share a little bit about who you are, the identities that matter to you in the way you move through the world, and the ways in which your lived experiences have shaped who you are today as a leader. We'll start with Ari. My name is Aristotle Maximus. That's my full first name. That matters a lot to me because I chose it myself. Yeah, it means like greatness and superior, which is something that I needed to feel at the time that I chose that name. And it still means a lot to me. And it sounds really nice. So I really like that. And I am non-binary. I use they, them pronouns. I don't really have much to say on that other than the love that I have for other non-binary people and trans people in the trans community in general. As for like an ethnic identity, uh, one that I carry with me a lot is Romani, which is the group of people that originated in India and traveled upwards into Europe and were kind of uh, travelers and such. And I carry it with me because it's the only thing my mom has from her side of the family. And it feels nice that there are other people outside of my own household that do the same practices and such. Harshan, tell us about who you are and the identities that matter to you and kind of shape you as a leader. The meaning of my name is God's grace or a gift from God. I don't like think about myself as that, like a gift or something that just seems very, yeah, it just seems like very condescending. So I don't think about myself like that. But who I am is I would say I'm an overachiever in like basically everything. Just anything I do, I try to put my 100% effort into it and try to get the best result possible because I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. That's a good and bad thing. It's good because it helps me overachieve, but it does put a lot of stress on my mental health. I'm a big like promoter of your own mental health. I think it's a really, really important concept that everybody should really look into. That's right. That doesn't mean going to therapy or like doing this or doing that, but it just means taking care of yourself. I think that's just a huge part of who I am. Something that I would say kind of defines me is being a son. My mom is extremely important to me. 
I can't even put it into words how important she is to me, but it just, it means so much because she's gone through a lot to raise me to be where I am today. So anything I do, me being that overachiever, being that perfectionist, it's because my mom worked way too much for me not to be great. Yeah. And... Something that I just carry along with me is I try to learn from my mistakes or my failures. I don't really like to view them as failures, more so teaching moments. But I try to I try to take all those teaching moments and I try to motivate myself. If I don't live up to the standard that I am setting for myself, I know I can improve. I have high expectations for myself, but I don't let myself get down. But yeah, that's I would say that's who I am. Can I ask a follow-up question for both of you? Harshan, you can go, and then Ari, you can answer this part. How have those, any one of those identities or anything that you talked about shaped who you are as a leader? Well, I guess being that overachiever, it's like only natural that I would chase leadership opportunities. I mean, I've always been told since I was a child, like literally by all my teachers, that Oh, Hershon's a great leader. Oh, he's an amazing leader. Oh, he has this potential, this potential. And I never understood what they were saying. Because I'm like, I don't see myself as that. And it, it took until, like, I think high school to really for me to realize that, like, I am a leader. What about you, Ari? I think that the term non-binary has definitely shaped a lot of my experiences and how I lead now. I mean, I I really do have trouble calling myself a leader even now. No idea why, but probably my self-esteem issues, which does connect to my leadership skills. So like, cause I started doing leadership like roles in like the fourth grade. And I was like, and I was doing it for the validation because at that point I had so many mental health struggles. And so when I got to like the early years of high school, I had been like doing this whole overachiever thing for like six years and like COVID hit and I just broke and I had come out as non-binary a few months before COVID hit actually coming out kind of made me step back and look at all other aspects of my life and be like am I being my happiest most authentic self in these areas and that is kind of when I realized that all of the leadership roles I had been taking on up to that point were purely because people were telling me I was doing a good job or because I was getting like recognized in the academic environment for these things. Like the best feeling in the world for me in middle school was getting those like paper certificates that they would give out to kids. Like those paper certificates that are like, you got a certain grade. And then essentially what made me come back to doing things and helping people out was the fact that once I stopped doing those things in grade nine and grade 10, I felt really, really empty. Not because of the validation part, because I had, I had figured that out for myself, but because I genuinely missed helping people. And, you know, getting my voice out there to advocate for those who don't have a voice in situations. (laughs) 
We want to invite our listeners to walk alongside you two as student leaders for a moment. So can you tell us about the student voice work that you led last year? What was the issue that your team landed on and what was the change that you sought to make? All right. So last year was actually my first year doing student voice and it was also my first year doing street data. Last year, we started to tackle bullying within our school. We noticed that our school does not have a very welcoming environment to people on the margins and minorities. And so we wanted to really look at the root of that and really look not at like the surface level. Oh, well, there's victims and there's bullies. We need to help the victims like and only the victims. We were looking at it through an indigenous lens, through the restorative justice aspect. We wanted to open up healing circles to have, you know, counselors for both the bullied and the bullies. Last year, what we accomplished was really a deep emotional change. We really sat down with victims and of bullying, and we looked at our own experiences because a lot of our street data team has experience in that area, unfortunately. And we really looked at the root of what this affected for us and what it affected other people for. I know that for my best friend, she now feels that she has a proper support system and feels a lot safer coming to school because she was made fun of a lot of her life. And being able to voice that in the student voice community and the street data team for her was just amazing. And it was amazing to watch her and see her grow. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. I can't wait to hear Hashan's answer to this one. Last year, we went to the student voice with like, we came up with a short term and a long term goal. So the short term being the environment of the school, basically getting students to sort of enjoy coming to school, not make it feel like it's a facility that you're trapped in, make it something that you actually look forward to. So that was our short-term goals. So that like encompassed things like lighting, uh, seating, different ways to write down like ideas and stuff. That was our plan with that. And then our long-term was moving towards assessment and grading systems being changed because it's such a big flaw. And it's like the main like stressor for like most students, right? So. That was a long-term goal. We knew that wasn't achievable within that year, so we definitely wanted to push it to a long-term goal. So originally, it was about math assessments because there's different like flows of math, different paths, and we wanted to like just make it known that like people that are in workplace math or like the lower level math aren't stuck there, and they can actually like have a way to get out and not be like institutionalized in that system, and. So we went from that, we did the empathy interviews and we realized everybody was talking about tests in general and not just math. So then that led us to like change our questions to more from like math to general studies. And then we made the short-term and long-term goal and we took it up with the staff. We sort of had like a debate with them, but this is where the issue came in. The goals weren't like conveyed properly because like the staff thing was kind of just thrown onto us and we were a little like, um okay like we were nervous because like we're going up against our teachers right it's like they're experienced in this this is our first year here how much power do we have what can we actually say what can't we say like what's like that boundary can we cross it or not and there was so many questions in our head 
it sort of just got to us and uh, we we weren't as vocal or as direct as we should have been that sort of led to like the goals remaining like stagnant not much happened then because we sort of needed the teachers approvals to change their classrooms to change the hallways that surround their classrooms and then that wasn't conveyed properly but that has carried on to this year we want to focus more on that long-term goal we're trying to focus on stress as a whole at this point and it's like a big like it's a like a big topic to cover yeah that's where we're at right now we're just trying to uh, get by there's different like flows of student voice so we have our plan is we have the Shane group of student voice we're gonna have the people that actually debate the department heads and the staff yeah so we have 55 people in our student voice and then we have different like just flows and I'm in charge of making them because I was I'm the president of my student voice so I'm like in charge of maintaining all those like different subgroups but yeah we're just hoping that this year is where we actually get way more stuff done because we have a lot of great ideas but sort of the execution was our issue last year and we're hoping to build upon that. Okay, so Ari shared a story about their friend who was personally impacted by the bullying work. It sounds like in creating a space of belonging for that person. Harshan, can you talk about a particular moment where you felt the most powerful and impactful? And if you want, it would be great to hear about your ministry experience too. So I was obviously in the student voice where we talked to you. But then I got added into this other student voice, which was mainly about the ministry and the school trustees association. Just a little recap on that. That was basically just we had a panel in front of 500 members of the school trustees association. There was, I think, seven of us. But yeah, so we had a bunch of like it was more of like a Q&A. So the assistant superintendent, he would basically be up on the panel with us asking us questions and we would respond while there was like a staggering amount of people watching us. It was, we were so nervous. It actually ended up being great because I was added to the group late. So I, have, I had the least experience, I would say, because they had months to prepare. I had like three weeks, but I, I don't know what happened. I was on that stage and the question came to me and I was like, you know what, let's just, let's just go for it. I just completely just start like going. I get into many different topics. So like pattern recognition, racism within schools and communities, representation, yeah, cultural representation within schools that is very limited. But I think that's where I felt the most power because it helped me realize that I could like really be a leader. And that's where I sort of learned my power of leadership. Take us into that room with you, Harshan. 500 adults for folks who aren't familiar with the what the ministry means that's like the equivalent of a state department of education like the california or the arkansas or whatever it's like trustees from the entire province of british columbia and harshad's in front of the room mm -hmm. what is something you said from your gut from your heart from this embodied place of trusting your voice about cultural representation that felt really true to you when it came to cultural representation i talked about what i saw in the school so i didn't see enough like if it was April is Sikh Heritage Month, right? You would walk into the, into the library and you just wouldn't see anything. And I was like, this is this is wrong. Like there should be a diverse representation. Like we do have representation within our school, but there should definitely be more of it. And it's sort of just something all South Asian people have been talking about for years. And I've been hearing it for a long time. I've been thinking about it for a long time. So I sort of just, I pretended like nobody was in the room. That was just me 
It was just me in front of a mirror or something. And I just talked. That really helped. Very empowering. I love it. Um, Ari, what is happening now with Student Voice at your school? And is there something you're trying to accomplish this year? Yeah, so this year we are focusing specifically on safe spaces within like the street data team that we have, which we will uh, transition over to our main student voice. However, we haven't quite done that yet because currently we are working on writing a student handbook for students by students, essentially giving like a how-to guide of our school, like what you need to graduate, what courses you need to take where things are, where you can go at lunch, clubs, sports teams, extracurriculars, things like that, laid out in a way that isn't boring to students and isn't like legal mumbo jumbo, which is all our handbook is now. It's literally just like, this is what happens if you do this. These are all the legalities and the things that we have to put in here. And here's a map, I guess. And the map doesn't tell you like how to find your classes it's just like you should know you know what the system is so that's what we're working on currently and Ari what's a moment last year or this year where you felt the most powerful and in your own voice as a young person well it's really hard to say because most of the moments of power I felt were more of a power within like my group as a whole and not just me it was like after like street data meetings and stuff I remember that like the team would be like super super psyched about all of the work that we were talking about doing and really motivated and that would make me like feel a sense of pride within myself and empower me more to see that the people around me are also excited and well that they love me and that I love them because they're all my friends And that is really powerful for me is the community of it all, I would say. Not to nerd out too much, you guys, but the student agency model, which you all have seen, the belonging piece literally says, I feel seen and loved. And that's like what I heard you just describe. Right, which is there's the technical outcome of the work, like you can change teacher professional learning or policy or assessment, but then there's just the piece of like how you feel when you go to school and whether you feel connected to other people. And it sounds like some of that maybe emerged through the process, which is great to hear. And I and I also just want to name that I loved how both of y'all talked about power in two different ways, but they are often the ways that I um, teach leaders about how to access power, right? Harshan, you were talking about when you access the authenticity of your voice and you trust yourself and you trust your lived experiences and the power that comes through when you stand and and speak truth to power. And then Ari, you were talking about the power of being in community. And both of those are true. We sometimes think that power is more potent when it's concentrated in one person, when they have the mic or they're on the stage, whether they're sitting or standing. But there is this power that also comes when you know you have your people with you 
or you're doing work with your people. And that love and that energy and that connection is also really powerful. And that, I think, is the power that a lot of adults don't often know how to tap into, that if we watched how kids move, if we watched how young people work together, because that's often the power I see y'all using. And it's, it's a force. It's a force. I mean, you have 55 people in your student voice group, Harshan, like that is, that is not a small, I can't get 55 teachers to do nothing. Like 55 young people is amazing. So kudos to you all for knowing what power is and how to access it on your own at such an early age. Like, oh, so stepping back from your project, let's just zoom out a little bit. And what mindsets and ways of being do you think adults must embrace in order to support and nurture authentic student voice? Let's start with you, Ari, and then we'll come to you, Harshan. Two things really come to mind when I am thinking about it and feeling it and like really absorbing the question is active listening. Youth just want to be listened to. Yes. Like, that's it. Just hear us out. I swear. The other thing kind of connects to the active listening part. The fact that every single child has good ideas, every single one, regardless of whether or not you think they have like emotional issues or issues at home or anything, every single one of them has merit to the conversation. Every single one of them has something to say and something good to bring to the table. I love what you just said. Every single young person has something powerful and important to say. Can you say a little bit more about how you know that to be true? I teach at a middle school. That is my capstone project. Once a week, I go in and I teach a bunch of young eighth graders about art and how to use art to better, better like cope with your feelings and to cope with mental health struggles. And specifically there, they have picked the kids who struggle emotionally, academically, who teachers view as like having behavioral issues or whatever. And I've just sat them down in a place where I treat them with kindness and with respect. And I make jokes with them and I respect them and they respect me. And then they give me their ideas and their ideas are brilliant and they are so sweet. My heart fills with pride for them. It does not help that one of them is my younger brother, but just the group as a whole, they just showed me all of their ideas. And also when I was like really, really young, I remember having ideas and being enraged that I was not being listened to, um, that nobody would just hear me out and let me voice my opinion. There's this theory around radical inclusion that I wrote about in the book, but Ari just explained radical inclusion perfectly. Right? In like two sentences. Like that is it. You actually believe every child has a voice that's worthy of listening to and has ideas that have merit. Like what if we actually believed that? Right, Harshan, you have to answer the question, but your goal is to not make me cry anymore. Challenge, right? I know. (laughs) (laughs) So... Something similar. The whole prompt of my response to this question was making students the center of attention. If the school system is designed to teach us, why can't the classroom be based around us? 
right? So basically my word of advice to the adults, and I'm going to try to keep this brief, but my word of advice is just get rid of the pedestals. Mm -hmm. Just get rid of like this high pedestal you put yourself on and just bring yourself down to our level. Mm -hmm. Because the more condescending you seem, the worse that students perform, the less they want to be in your class. You should get rid of that pedestal and get rid of that fragile ego that you have. Yeah. And really try to just be, you know, one with us. Well, the brilliance of your statement, Harshan, and this is what I know to be true. I started teaching at 22. And I was teaching high school. I was teaching 15-year-olds, 14-year-olds. And very quickly, like within the first day, I realized I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And in fact, these kiddos know what good teaching is better than I do because they've they actually have lived in the Bronx. They know their community. They know themselves. You know, like they know all the ins and outs of their context. And I'd be a fool to not listen to them. Now, granted, I had a fancy degree from university that said I knew how to teach, but I didn't. And that's exactly what I did, Harshan. I was just like, okay, y'all teach me. We're, we're learning together. And I love what you said about the pedestal because, yes, there are teachers and there are students, but really when we think about it, there are adolescent learners and there are adult learners. We all should be in the business of learning each other and centering the student learners. So you're right, get off the pedestal. Okay, we're going to shift into our last couple of questions. You guys are doing great. This is so amazing. It's going to really, really help people. All right, so I'm working on another book, which is about student agency and student voice. So really, all the learning we've been doing together, the three of us, is going to infuse this whole book. But one of the things I'm thinking a lot about is classroom experiences, like teaching and learning experiences that allow students to step into their voices. Like, I agree with you guys. The voice is already there. You have the voice, right? But it's so often suppressed or silenced or marginalized, all these things, because of the pedestal, the mindsets we carry as adults, our power tripping. If you could give advice to educators who are listening around what they can do differently in the classroom to make student voice central, to really cultivate your voice and your agency, what would, what would you say? What do you think we could do? You want to start, Ari? With student agency and really nurturing student voice is taking the time to like kind of slow down and really look at your individuals that you have in your classroom instead of thinking like as a whole, this is the learning style or as a whole, this is what works. Being like, hey, these students seem to not do well in this subject. Why is that? Let's go investigate. And then asking them questions and being like, hey, what was your thought process through this? And if they're like a visual learner, you can help them out with like visual aids and correcting, like say they're bad at math. That's a really good one that you can apply visual and different learning types to. Um, and also because I am bad at math. So say you get like a kid that doesn't do well with like standard multiplication because I suck at that. Like, I, I can't do it. I can only do the box method because I'm a visual learner. And so maybe try teaching the box method to some kids if that seems to help them, because that's a 
very more like visually laid out thing and that will in turn make them more confident within their own skills which will make them more confident in raising their voice during class and putting their hand up and voicing their opinions on things so really just making sure that the individual feels seen and the individual gets their needs met what would you say harshan what do you think classes should feel like that actually feature and center student voice okay so other than getting rid of that pedestal i think teachers just taking a little you know a step back relaxing just allowing more student led discussions and allow those interactions to happen within the classroom because then the students not only get a better understanding because they're talking to somebody that is at their level not being talked down to they're also you know getting a better understanding of one another and what that does is that starts to build a confidence within the classroom and like already said they start raising their hand more they start talking more they basically just have that confidence and confidence is key if they have that confidence then you know their student voice will be heard more because the volume and frequency is at what they speak on these topics will just increase and eventually somebody's going to listen to you so when you keep talking somebody's going to listen to you so i think yeah having more student led discussions is definitely the way to go within classrooms I think the four of us would probably agree this is a very complex time to be a human being and it's probably a extra complex time to be a young person and a teenager on the precipice of voting and being part of the political system and all the things that are happening. And so the two things that are heaviest on my heart in this moment are the unraveling situation in Gaza and the Middle East and then locally for you all, as well as in the States, all the anti-SOGI and anti-trans organizing that's happening. And I just wanted to ask each of you, to the extent you feel comfortable talking about this, how these issues are impacting you and what kinds of conversations do you wish teachers would hold and facilitate to support students in processing and grappling with all these forces in the world? Do you want to start, Harshan? I think it's as simple as just talking about it. That's it. Just just talking about it. Like I know um like social studies classes, some of them have like the first 5-10 minutes of like what's happening in the world and they talk about that. I think that's a great system because relating it back to mental health, just talking about it really does help. So when you talk about these events that are going on within the world or locally, it just allows people to feel more comfortable with it because it's once again like mental health there's a stigma around it right so there's a stigma I, I believe around talking about these like horrific things that are going on because nobody wants to face these things everybody wants to stay away from them you know pretend like they're not they're not happening but they are happening and i i think talking about it is really just the key to not resolving it obviously but just you know allowing that stigma of these events to sort of dissipate and have everybody come together and see if we can come to a solution as a world. It's so simple, but it's so powerful. And you probably wouldn't agree then with a lot of the messaging that I'm hearing from teacher friends down here in the States, which is don't talk about it. Teachers are getting messages from school boards and district leadership that it's not safe to talk about these things. It's going to create too much conflict. Young people aren't ready. What would you say to that, Harshan? These school board members aren't present in that situation in the classroom they're not present with those people that are in that classroom they don't know who they are 
So maybe they are ready to talk about it. Who knows? But if you keep saying they'll, they never, like they, they're not ready, they never will be ready. If you're taught you can't do anything, you won't do anything. If you're constantly just being told that you can't talk about this, you never will talk about it. You never will resolve it. You never will fix it. So I, I think that's a pretty, pretty dumb sentiment. I think, I think people should talk about it. I was going to ask Arshan what he thinks the adults are afraid of. Just control. They know that if people talk about it and people want to make a change, they can't control them. They, they just want control, right? It's, it's, that, it's that, just that power that they want to feel, but not, in the power, not the power in the way we were talking about it earlier. This is like a more diplomatic uh, type of power. I think that's what they fear, losing that control and losing their grip on the young people and trying to mold them into the way that they want them to be molded. And they're scared that people will actually break free of that mold that they're continuing to create. you get the final word on this big question I'll, I'll kind of repeat it because i know it's a juicy one so given the complexity of the world the unraveling situation in gaza and the local anti-soji organizing which you and i have talked about at lane how are these forces impacting you and what kinds of conversations do you want teachers to be holding to help students grapple with what's happening yeah i can speak a lot on the anti-soji stuff because it affects me directly and has been affecting me for many months and the situation in Gaza is so horrible. My heart breaks every single day for all of the children, all of the people in Gaza, and all Palestinians. And then for anti-Soji, as a trans person myself, words cannot describe how terrifying it is to wake up every single day and not have your safety guaranteed. I was going to speak at a public school board meeting this week I was supposed to but they could not guarantee my safety because it was a public school board meeting I have to limit like going out in public and being open with my identity because it is dangerous for me at this point which literally is the worst thing ever because I am just trying to graduate high school I am just trying to live for some reason some people think that that is a threat and a danger to everyone around me when I am. I'm so much more than my gender identity. There's so much more of a person behind that, but some people only see that and think that it is a problem to be dealt with. Yeah, so I'm just always really sad now. And how teachers can help is by reiterating over and over and over again, there is no space for hate in the classroom. Every single person matters. And I agree with Harshan talking about it because the students already know what's happening. They have a phone, they have social media, they have the ability to go on Google and look for it themselves. And choosing to be ignorant is just doing more harm than it is good. It is making people feel more isolated. What I hear you all saying when I when I sort of weave your comments together on this last question is that talking about and addressing these issues in the classroom is not just the right thing to do. It's actually, it's a bridge to belonging. It's a bridge to inclusion. It makes 
you feel like you matter if you're a student at the margins. That people aren't just like, go fend for yourself. Good luck with all that crazy stuff happening out there. But like your well-being, your welfare is central to what it means to be in a community together. And that that really speaks to me on a deep level. And you know how I feel about this issue, Ari, and about you. And I just, I love you so much. And you, you don't ever walk alone. And it's just so unfair that you have to walk through the world with this burden and these questions about your safety as a child, really, as a young person. It's just really, really unfair. So this is our lightning round, y'all. So. Ari and Harshan, you are called to listen deeply to someone, but what they have to say is triggering. What's the first thing you do, Ari? I paint my feelings. Whenever I feel something really deeply, I paint it or I draw it creatively in some way. I get it out. All right. Harshan. Continue to listen uh, because you have to respect what they're saying. All right. Number two. What is a practice or a way of being in the world that keeps each of you grounded in the face of struggle or oppression, resistance? Well, it's pretty self-explanatory where not everything is meant to work out. No matter how hard you work at something, it might not always go your way. I know I have a standard that I set for myself and I want everything to work out. But at the same time, I know things won't work out. So I don't get down on myself. It keeps me, you know, level with myself, keeps me grounded. All right, what is one form of street data every educator should gather? Let's go with you, Harshan. I think map data Mm. is probably, in my opinion, the most important one. I don't know. It's just, it's that middle ground, right? Between satellite and street data. It's that middle ground. It's not too general, but it's also not too specific immediately where it's like, you don't even know what direction to go. It gives you that good, like, direction of where you should head. So I, I think map data is good. Ari... I think that learning every single child's learning profile or learning style is really important, like individually with each child. That's the kind of street data that I think is really, really important as a basis is just knowing how all of your children in the classroom like learn, how they absorb information the best. Love it. Love it. And then Ari, we'll stick with you. What's a type of data you think is overused? I think that like map data and satellite data, like the like huge statistics that are like, the majority of people feel this way or like the majority of people do this or like that kind of thing. I think that it is overused and a lot of statistics like that are skewed, especially within the media and stuff. I'll probably go ahead and say standardized testing because it's a really, it's a, it's a very limited way of viewing things. I know it's not uh, a way for someone to show their full potential or their full learning. So yeah, I would say I would say standardized testing. Love it. And final question, a great learning experience will. Like what's the impact a great learning experience should have on you? Harshan, and then we'll wrap it up with you, Ari. I think a great learning experience should influence your perspective. It shouldn't change your perspective. It should add on to your perspective. So I think influence is a good word. Ari. I think that good education will help you grow it will push you forward it will inspire you it will loud your voice it will empower you as an individual it will make you feel heard it will push you to 
grow and to change and to go after things that you want. Yep. And to push you towards the change that you want in other people and in the world. I feel like I've been on this great epic learning journey with you all for the last year and a half and it was like this crazy idea to try to do the street data model with students like who would do that you know everybody's like hiring me and Jamila to work with adults and I was like you know what I think we should work with the students and you all I mean you just surpassed every expectation of what was possible with this work both in your schools and the impact you've had but also I'm gonna get a little emotional just like the ways that you show up and the ways that you've grown as leaders and human beings. And you both inhabit your names, the largeness, the grace, the integrity of your beautiful names with so much power and force. And I just feel really, really lucky to get to learn and walk alongside you. So a huge thank you from my heart for everything that you continue to do in the student voice work. Ah, y'all are just the bee's knees. Like y'all are just so, so inspiring. I feel really inspired. Thank you for having us. Uh, This is a great opportunity. I was super stoked about being on this. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's my first podcast. Yeah, I am super happy that we got to sit down and discuss this. Hey, Street Data Pod, we'd love to hear your street data stories and questions. So please leave us a voicemail at 415-335-9997 or send an email to streetdatapod at gmail.com. That's streetdatapod at gmail.com. We might even feature your voicemail or question on a future episode. Talk to you soon. Street Data Pod is executive produced and hosted by Shane Safir and Alcine Mumby. The senior producer is Zoe Morgan, and our production manager is Jamie Valle. Thank you to Zoe as well for social media support, and a special shout-out to Rocky Rivera, Shane's former student, for our theme music. If you want to get a copy of Street Data, visit Amazon, Corwin Press, or better yet, a local independent or Black-owned bookstore. At Corwin's website, use discount code STREETDATA, all caps, to get 20% off. If you like the show, please take a moment to subscribe and give us a five-star review. And if you found us rambling or fumbling over our words, remember, we can't be articulate all of the time. Y'all are so amazing. So amazing. Can't wait to see what you do to this world these children like who are these children